Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Uh, another episode for you. Thanks, sponsors Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's another episode. Hope you enjoy. Jesse, first question. Obviously, I've been at this a lot less long than either of you. Dad, I grew up in your hobby shop from a very young age. And Jim, obviously, you've been at this a long time. What era of cards was the most fun to be a part of? What was the time when you thought, wow, this is really fun and this is going really well? Or maybe just for personal reasons, um, a time you thought, this is really great. The early mid-70s. For me, actually, the cards of the 50s, I think, were the things I really fell in love with those designs as a kid. But collecting in the early to mid-70s, before I'd done all the price guide stuff and all that, prices were very reasonable. In fact, since there weren't price guides, they were more than reasonable. People really didn't know what things were worth. And I'd say, how much do you want for the box? And they'd say, I want 100 bucks. And I'd say, here's 100 bucks. But I didn't know the exact value any more than they I knew more that it was better than 100 bucks, enough to pay 100 bucks. But whether it was $500 worth of cards or $200 worth of cards, I just was loving having the cards and the people didn't want the cards. So that was a lot of fun. And in that decade, I completed all those major sets that now people think are, you can't even go after them because they're the, the Gaudis and the Playballs and all the tops cards and all that stuff. But you could do it in those simpler days. The, the value wasn't that great. I mean, now the value is more, but I, even though I'm a price guide guy, I really enjoyed the purity of just trading and collecting from in those days when I had zero employees. <laughs> I was a professor. And I had a uh, you know, class schedule where I could hit shows on the weekends. Thanks for the question, Jesse. Okay, Steve. I'm curious, were you always from your childhood on a big sports guy? And who were the guys that were your heroes growing up? Yes, I was always playing sports. If I was inside looking at my cards, there needed to be either be a foot of snow out there or pelting rain. Otherwise, my mom and dad would say, get out there, take your glove or your bat or your football or whatever. And that's when the free range kids where you just, you'd find a field and, and you'd uh, choose up teams. One of the interesting things, I don't know if this happens that much, but I, I had some sports where I would be one of the first ones chosen and some sports where I wasn't one of the first ones chosen. And there's just a pecking order in kids where you just realize, hey, I guess I'm not as good. They're just picking him because they like him. No, he's a better hitter or he's a better <laughs> tackler or better blocker. Yeah, so I always loved sports. Clemente was my favorite guy. I know exactly where I was when I heard the news of his plane crash. The time stood still there. I grew up in the Pittsburgh area for most of my elementary and middle school years. And so the Pirates were my team and Clemente was my guy because I was... I really became aware of baseball. My first card was 56, and that's when Clemente was emerging. Okay, my turn. To what extent do you think the card landscape is going to be different a year from now? Because like we're saying, I'm going to see your full inventory in Chicago. How much of a splash is the collegiate NIL kind of stuff going to come together and happen? In most sports, there's a rush to get cards out earlier and prospecting and stuff like that. The barn door is completely open now. I don't know if there's going to be any restraint. It sounds like there's going to be a lot of stuff going on with the collegiate players. How does that affect your business or does it? 
Um, I don't know that it has a huge impact on us, mostly because we don't do a lot of WAC. Unfortunately, we took a break and then we don't get allocated much stuff anymore. So we're going to buy singles pretty much across the board. I thought it was really interesting to see Bryce Young autographs in a product this year. Um, obviously, that could have never happened before. I think ultimately it's probably a positive for the hobby because I think it's interesting. And I think there are huge college fan bases that would love to be able to buy that kind of stuff earlier. And there are obviously college guys that don't ever really make a huge splash in the NFL and NBA and so on. It'd be cool to at least be able to collect those guys. I think of a Tyler Hansborough or even a Tebow that gets more years to get their cards. I don't know that it impacts us a lot, but I am really interested to see like, even with like football, they'll release the draft products. Those sell really well until there's a pro uniform card and then no one really cares. And so I'm interested to see what the staying power of some of these cards are if they get treated really well. Or the minute Bryce Young is a New York Jet, it doesn't matter anymore. So that'll be interesting. That's a statement about the Jets, I think, Jesse. Yeah, fair. Steve, do you want to answer that? Jim, I really count on Jesse to keep up with this stuff. I really don't know what's going on, to be perfectly honest with you. So... That is nice to know. I'll be shopping with you from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I price it all, though. Other and I'll continue to defer. Okay. Jesse, your turn. So, Jim, at what point with Beckett did you know, like, I'm really on to something here? I think with any startup, anytime you're trying something new, there's always those moments of doubt. When did you feel there was a groundswell that you were, like, you were going to become a big deal in the hobby, like, to the point where people stop you at our booth to take a picture with you? Now. I may be off by a day, but it was March 9th, 1979. <laughs> the first day at Willow Grove show, and we, Denny Eckes and I went up there. That first book had just come out. We picked them up from the printer. We filled up this big van and we sold out the first day of 5,000 copies. Oh. And I thought, I guess this is going to, I'd done my scholarly work when I was a professor. I'd gotten tenure and my journal articles that were peer reviewed and refereed and all that stuff. Dozens of people read them. <laughs> my article. <laughs> and so then to have 5,000 copies sell the first day, I said, I think this is very viable. And that was affirmation. I would have done it anyway. And it, it, it probably turned out, frankly, to be more lucrative than I thought, which it got a lot more lucrative when I got more employees because then I could leverage my own time a little better. But when it was me, myself, and I did fine, but it was a lot more fun having teammates. Steve, your turn. All right. You have to get rid of every sports card you own, but you can keep 10. Which ones are you keeping? Again, this is, I would keep the 10 most valuable, I think. And I would try to figure out who those are. I'm sure I would keep 52 Tops Mantle. I've got a Gehrig Exhibit Rookie that I know I would keep. I've got a Clemente Autograph Rookie card I know I would keep. Let's see. I've got a really rare Ty Cobb T206 back that I would keep. Uh, that's four. Gosh. Depends a lot to come up with. Yeah. So take away the value aspect. Now, maybe that's too many, but are there a few cards that you just like prize because the way they look, or there's some kind of personal connection. There are. Beyond value. Yeah, it's called my wall of fame. My There's a rendition of it. It's um, it's a virtual background, but it's the actual wall. And so I have a thousand cards that are mounted. And they're cards that I think are meaningful. If you come over here, if you're in Dallas, you come by. And I can tell you a little story about each of the thousand cards. Uh, 
to narrow it down to 10 would just be, that'd be scary. That'd be apocalyptic, Steve. <laughs> I didn't mean to traumatize you in any way. Okay, my turn. So you guys are at the National and somebody walks up with an impressive collection, but they say you have to take it all. The problem is there's some great football, basketball, and baseball there, but significant portion of the collection. And you really want that baseball, football, and basketball. You see the value there. But there's all this other stuff that's either UFC or Pokemon or wrestling or soccer or Formula One or NASCAR. Okay, it could be all these things that are not necessarily in your wheelhouse, but you want to get it. How do you get up to speed on something that's more obscure? That's a sport that you didn't play. You don't know lacrosse, cricket. There's these, no one can know everything. I used to be faced with that. People come and say, hey, what's this worth? I barely know what sport it is. I can't know everything. But what would you do if somebody came up and they want to sell you the cards? They're not just throwing it in. They expect to get some value for that. How do you get up to speed or have any concept of value for sports that are not mainstream? We've kind of pattern our business in a way that relationships are very important to us. Like when people bring old stuff to me, I have a couple of guys that I go to. You've noticed we don't sell a lot of old stuff, but we will buy it when it becomes available. But I've just built enough relationships over the years that I go to other people and say, what should we pay for this stuff? Is this anything that would interest you? So I think oftentimes partnering with other people to get rid of stuff. I bought a whole box of comic books at a garage sale. I don't know anything about comic books, but I knew I was getting a good deal. I just took them to the national and went to someone I know very well who sells comic books and they bought them from me. So that's one way that we would network, I think, to make that happen. Okay. Jesse, what would you do? Let's say that's not available because it's got to happen that day at the table. Fortunately, there's a couple of those things you listed that I am a little plugged into, like Formula One and so on. Obviously, we know almost right away what the baseball, football, and basketball was worth and need to know where they wanted to get with everything. And then it's get a phone out and start looking on eBay for some of the better stuff that's left. That I don't know UFC. I don't know cricket. I don't even know the rules of cricket and so on. And so it, I don't know how people did this 30 years ago, because if you don't have the internet and you don't have a clue, I don't really know what you do because you're not starting a significant collection. You can't take a bath like that just because you hope it's worth something. So for us, it would have to be some research at the table or that kind of thing. Fortunately, a lot of times if it's a lot of stuff we don't know, we can send them to someone that might buy it. Obviously, if we really want it, we'll try to work something out. But we're not going to buy a majority of stuff we don't know what to do with because, again, you're talking about time issues, too. And, uh, yeah, we just, like, hockey, even hockey, I have no idea. I, I know Sidney Crosby's good, I can tell you that. You bring me a bunch of hockey, I don't know what to do with it. But it is some of that, too. I've sent big collections to other people sometimes just because I knew I wasn't going to be able to deal with it. But if it's stuff we love, like if it was all Soto and Trout and Tom Brady. Yeah, we try to find a way to get it, but we got to do a little research or something. Two situations. One day, first day of the national. The other one is last day of the national. Somebody comes up to y'all and says, I want to buy your inventory at X percent, whatever, or some flat fee. Would y'all huddle up? Uh, would it matter? Would you say, hey, come back on Sunday? Because we're going to have so much fun 
for the next three days. What would be your strategy if somebody came up, especially if it was the first day and said, you know what, I like your stuff here, but I don't want to spend time looking through it all. I've got a satchel full of cash. How about I just, what would y'all do? We've actually had that conversation. I think we probably have that conversation every national. It's just, especially what we bring to Chicago, it's hard to know what the value is. And last year in Chicago, we had talked about what we would take. And then we did that much in sales and you could hardly tell anything was gone. So it's really hard. What do you think, Jess? We probably changed a little bit in terms of what we would take if someone did that, right? Yeah. And I think this is the first national we've ever done where we could actually figure it out without worrying. We're going to take a small enough amount of stuff. If you gave us a few hours, I think we could figure out what we would take. But we often have someone come up and try to buy a section of the booth. And every once in a while, someone will just buy a couple of monster boxes of stuff in sleeves of inserts. And if it's a sizable sale, almost always it's a cheap game used in autographs. Those are all blown out by Sunday. We'll often sell someone on Wednesday. You come back on Sunday, you can get it for that price, but we're going to try to sell stuff at full price. But people will come on Sunday and try to get stuff really cheap. And I always tell them, we're not scared of the internet. Like we can go home and sell this stuff. There's no need for us to sell it for nothing. But in Atlantic City, especially, it's a good time to be a buyer on Sunday. People go to the casinos. It's not as good of a show as the other one. There's a chance to walk around Sunday and buy some stuff at really good prices. That I can guarantee you. Probably just won't be with us. Yeah, again, I also think there's something to the fact that you had so much weight in your Chicago presentations, you had tonnage, you had monster boxes and monster boxes. So if you've really reduced your footprint, like I said, it's easier for them to calculate. It's easier for you to calculate and they're not worried about unwanted cards. They're thinking, hey, I can get a handle on this. It can fit in my van going home instead yeah. of your van. Anyway, thanks to Steve and Jesse Bachman. I look forward to seeing you. And it's bittersweet to say I'm not going to see you as much this year, I don't think, as you've uh, migrated away from my sweet spot. But I'll still get by. I hope to make some purchases from y'all. But like I said, I'm still contemplating this invitation to Iowa. <laughs> You'd eat well. I can guarantee you that. That uh, we wouldn't have to worry about. I'm a foodie. Yeah, that's another part of going to the national as well. So, anyway, thanks, guys. Appreciated the going back and forth and keep up the great work. Always a delight to see you guys at the national and I hope we can do this for many years to come. So, thanks again. Thank you. The man